0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone. If you're new here, my name is Vian. I'm the pastor here and it's a real privilege for me to be here tonight and to share the word of God with you. Our title for tonight is Works of Faith and the Heart. But before I jump in, let me just pray for us and then we can start. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here, Father. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Thank you for each and every person here tonight, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are busy with a work in hearts, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, Lord, that enables us that we might be open, Father, to what you wanna come and do tonight, Lord. Also pray, Father, specifically, Lord, that by your grace, Lord, we would have a sober judgment of ourselves, Lord. Like Paul writes, let each person thinks of himself of sober, sober judgment according to the faith, Lord, that you've assigned. And thank you, Lord, that we can receive everything from your word, Lord. The encouragement, Lord, the blessing, the grace, the mercy, the rebuke, the discipline, all of it, Lord. Knowing from whom it comes, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that enables everything through your sacrifice. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here teaching, guiding, leading. We welcome you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to build a little bit tonight on Reneer's sermon of last week. If you weren't here last week, again, like we say, that's what happens if you miss church. Now you don't know. I'm just making a joke. I'll quickly summarize for us what Reneer said last week. He spoke about faith and deeds. And obviously just like Renier can, he called it feeds. Because that's something memorable, you know, we'll remember that. Feeds, faith plus deeds. With the whole concept being that those two things are inseparable from one another. You cannot get the one without the other. They inevitably flow together. Our deeds inevitably flow from our faith, what we truly believe, dictates the way we live our lives. Like we've seen, life, if you take that iceberg picture, under the water you have belief and conviction, and above the water you have action. What people do will show you what they truly believe. Inevitably. Like I said this morning as well, some people might have rocked up here with a Ford a car, you know, a car named Ford, who's, who's done that, who did that? Some people, any, anyone with a Ford? Why? They actually believe that's the best car. And to us, it seems strange, you know, why would somebody do that? But they really believe that, and you see that in their actions. And we know it's not smart. I'm obviously just making a joke. But for the guys, and for some of the Bucky guys, you know, that's quite of a serious debate. Quite a lot of faith going into what car is the best, you know. And they won't deviate from that, because that's really what some people truly believe. And sometimes silly stuff. You know, we have a guy in our small group, you'll use a single brand of toothpaste because that stuff just is the best. and You won't deviate. That's the stuff. And in many areas of life, some more serious, some less serious, we live our lives according to what we believe. And like Renee shared, inevitably, if we say that we had a meeting with Jesus, we've encountered the God of the Bible, then inevitably there needs to be change in our lives. There needs to be a different deeds flowing from our lives good works according to the faith that we've placed in Jesus. But if we say that somewhere in our lives we have encountered God and we have placed our faith in God but nothing has changed, then we are deceiving ourselves. That's impossible. I like what Paul Washer says. He says if we say that we are still the same after encountering God, it would be to say that you are still the same after a truck hit you. Something of that magnitude met you and you say you are still the same. It's just impossible. And many times when we hear statements like that, it's very confronting and we look to our lives and we see the areas where we are busy busy disobeying, there isn't good stuff flowing from our lives, areas that we're still struggling. Maybe there's that one sin that just constantly trips us up. And we've said again and again that we won't, but again and again we do. And we're wondering, man, is is it ever going to stop? Am I then saved? And many times we... Don't ask the second question when it comes to the bad fruit that we see in our lives. Many times we see the apple is rotten, and we take the apple off and we throw it away. And surprise, surprise, two weeks later, there's another rotten apple. And we take the apple and we throw it away. And surprise, surprise, two weeks later, another one. And there's a statement that says, For thousands hacking at the fruit of sin, there's but one striking at the root. There's seldom one person that goes a step further and asks, but why am I continuously doing that? Let's go a little bit deeper. When it comes to the desires that we have, why do I desire the things that I shouldn't? And why do I struggle to do the things that I should? Why? It's a good question, isn't it? And many times we don't wanna sit still and allow God to come and deal with those issues and we just jump away and we try to do the right thing out of our own self-discipline and motivation. And how long does that last? Not very long. And in many areas of life, you know, we've many times said that this is the year that we're gonna read the Bible continuously. Man, day after day, this will be the year. When it comes to my prayer life, this will be the year. Every day I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna build that relationship with God. Like I asked this morning, it's March, how did it go? How many restarts were there in the first two and a half months already? You now Monday goes well and Tuesday goes well and then Wednesday we lose sight of our Bibles till Sunday. And we're reminded again Monday and we start again. And we dip again and we get up again. And there's just no sustenance. You know, why isn't this sustainable? What's going on? And it's so important for us, you know, in, in light of that, Raneer speaking about that faith that inevitably flows out in deeds to understand the heart of faith, the heart of those deeds. Because an interesting thing about scripture, it's not just about what we do, but why we do what we do. Two people can do exactly the same thing and for the one God be very pleased with that and the other one it doesn't register. It's not pleasing, it's not acceptable. Because it's not just what we do, but it's why we do what we do. And many times, you know, we. It's a bit difficult for us, like I said, to be honest with ourselves. We quite easily deceive ourselves or have a wrong perception of who we actually are and what we actually do and why we actually do those things. And one of the questions that we might gauge to see, you know, how we look at the works that actually flow from our life and how we understand faith in the gospel is the simple question. Have you ever said the following words? I feel far from God. Have you ever felt far from God? Have you ever felt close to God? Maybe at this moment where you're sitting, how do you feel? Do you feel far from God? Do you feel close to God? Because we many times use that language. But then when the second question is asked, it's a little bit more difficult all of a sudden. And the question is why? Why did you or why are you feeling far from God? Or When you feel close to God, why? What happened on what is that based? You see, sometimes we have a, a great boldness to go into our quiet times, open up the word of God, starting to read and to pray, and we feel that we can draw near to God. There's something that, that enables that. Might be wrong, might be right. But inevitably, there's something that, that's based upon. And sometimes we feel bad, man, there's this heavy weight upon my shoulders. I just don't feel that I can enter with boldness. It's difficult for me to pray. It's difficult for me to open my Bible. It's difficult to go to church. Why? You see, and many times, unfortunately, it's based upon our performance, how well we think we did in the eyes of God. I mean, there was a week or two where I feel that I didn't do you know, a lot of sin and I kind of did my part and I read my Bible and I prayed and I ticked all of the boxes. Now, all of a sudden, I feel that boldness to go to God and say, hey, I've done well, eh? You must be pleased with that. That must be acceptable in your sight. And then the other times when we fail, when we fall short, when we do that sin that we said we weren't going to do again and again, when we didn't get to our Bibles, when we didn't pray, all of a sudden now we feel this heaviness. And we don't feel that we can go to God with boldness because we don't feel like we've done our part. We didn't tick the boxes. And that shows actually to a wrong understanding of the gospel, a wrong understanding of the deeds that should flow from our life and what that's based upon. And tonight, while we look upon this, I'm going to give us three points. One, like the basis for good works, what it's based upon. And another one is what that deeds are aimed at. When we do works of faith, what is it aimed at? Why do we do that? And then thirdly, the motivation that actually brings sustainability into our lives. It keeps us from doing this, from being burnt out every now and again. Saying, okay, now I'm gonna try harder and then we fall flat again. So let's read together and see what we can learn. We're gonna read from Philippians 3, from verse one to 17. It says the following. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. And like we said, you know, in ancient languages, whenever they want to put an emphasis on something, they repeat it. So Paul is saying again, you know, I'm repeating this thing to you. I've spoken to you about it, but I'm going to say it again. I'm placing emphasis on this. This is important. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us all true what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Beautiful passage of scripture, a lot that we can say, a lot of time that we can spend on this, but like I said, I wanna make three core points tonight. And the first, just to create a little bit of the context is found in verse two and three. And it says the following, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Speaking about circumcision, so what Paul busy speaking about here. For those who still hold to circumcision, mutilate the flesh, put confidence in outward appearance. But then he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is busy contrasting two things here. The prefix is a little bit easier to see in the Greek. In Christ or in the law, these two things being contrasted with one another. Where we think our confidence lies, whether it's in our own good works, in us keeping the law, or about our faith in Christ and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Very important to understand that. Because later when he goes on to say that I count everything as rubbish or I count everything as loss, he's not meaning literally everything He's meaning it in this context. He's not saying that when someone comes to you and asks you where your wife is, you say, no, I counted everything as rubbish and count them as loss. I don't know where my family is. You know, <laughs> I just want to know Christ. He's not, he's not saying literally everything. Now, Paul is meaning anything that leads me to think that apart from Christ, in of myself, I have something good and of worth to bring to God. Anything that gives me that false perception, anything that gives me that pride, I count it as loss. And it can be the same thing and the good thing as well. Like he says here, yeah, he was, according to the law, a Pharisee. Paul was raised from a young age knowing the Old Testament. Probably could recite most of the books by heart. That's impressive. And he's saying the part of that that makes me want to feel that I didn't need Christ to come and die for me because in of myself I'm a good person, I count that as loss. But the part from it that I can go to the Jews and from the Old Testament show them that the Christ was Jesus. That's of great worth. The part of that that can lead me closer to God and understand Him more, serve Him better. That's of worth to me. But anything that leads to a righteousness of my own. A pride of my own. That leads me to be deceived about the condition that I'm actually in and the need of grace that I actually have. I count that as loss. And it's in light of that, in that context where Paul writes the following in verse seven, eight, and nine. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that depends on faith. There's those two things that Paul is busy contrasting here, righteousness in Christ and a righteousness in the law. And what Paul is saying is that you cannot have both. You cannot have a righteousness that comes from the law and you cannot have the righteousness that comes from Christ. You have to decide between the two. Obviously not, you know there's two ways to God and you have to choose one now. Obviously we need to choose Christ because there is no righteousness apart from Christ. And what Paul is busy trying to tell the Philippian church here is that you cannot buy something and get it for free. That makes sense, hey? Eh? You cannot get something for free and pay for it. And that's what we many try, times try to do when it comes to salvation. It would be like someone on earth coming to you and they give you something that you would never in your life be able to afford. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how hard you work, you'll never be able to afford that thing. And they come to you generously saying, hey, here, I give this to you. Instead of just receiving it, you try and go and work hard and you sell everything you have and you try to spend, save, 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 so that you can pay back this person for this thing. And many times, that's what we do with God. It doesn't work that way. We can't have the one thing. We can't have the thing for free if we're trying to buy it from God. We have to understand this. It has to make sense to us to receive this for free. And many times, you know, that sounds like a nice thing to receive something for free. But to receive that, we also have to acknowledge that we need that. And that's many times the difficult part. Like if we were to ask us the question, who here would acknowledge that we need grace right here now where we sit? All of us would say, yes, we need grace. But then if I ask the second question, why? What's the answer? Why? We know scripture says we need grace, but now I say, why? Now we have to acknowledge because without grace... I don't mess up at all. I don't make it at all. The acknowledgement of grace, I need to receive that which I do not deserve. Are you with me? It's like I also shared about you know many times we think but there's no big things wrong in our lives, or there's no things out of order, or big lies that we believe, or big things that we do. Many times that's just deception. Sometimes we think to ourselves as Christian, man, i am been doing good, man. It's been like two weeks since I had to repent of something. Scripture says you're just deceived. That's the only thing that's wrong. That's why you haven't repented. Because we really don't measure up. It's not because you've been doing well. In fact, you're somehow also deceived now, throwing that into the mix. Martin Luther, when he nailed that 95 Theses to the church door, Do you know what point number one was? The whole of the Christian life is repentance. The whole of the Christian life is repentance. Now I would love to start a single quiet time without the words, Lord, I repent. There's just no way. Because we do not measure up and we need to acknowledge that. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself the question, why the Pharisees hated Jesus? Why the religious people were indignant when Jesus came? And we actually read that here in Luke 4 verse 47. Also Matthew 21 verse 15. And it says, as he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Why? They were trying to kill him. The religious leaders trying to kill Jesus, why? It says in verse 15 of Matthew 21, but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, isn't that ironic, the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Why? You see, it wasn't primarily Jesus called to follow him, Many people calling us to follow them for a lot of reasons. Same in Jesus' day. But the fact that Jesus says, whoever does not lay down his life, denies himself, takes up his cross, cannot follow me. In other words, if you do not acknowledge that in of yourself, your life is worthless, that you need me. When Jesus says, I'm offering salvation, he's saying that you need to be saved. That was what irritated them so much. Their pride didn't like that. We are right with God. We read in John 8 when Jesus went to his own people, to the Israelites, and says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. How did they respond? How can you say you'll set us free? We've never been slaves to anyone. Can you imagine that? Jesus says, I'm offering you salvation. I want to set you free. And the response is, don't tell me that I need salvation. And don't tell me that I'm a slave to sin. We are children of Abraham. Our righteousness is secured with God. And like Jan shared, they will come to God one day and he will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. We need to understand how much we need grace. And that what we add, what we bring, isn't really of worth. You see, only the person with a skewed perception of who they really are thinks it's a tough call to lay down their lives, pick up their cross and follow Jesus. The person that realizes, but I have nothing, to lay down nothing. Lay down your life, deny yourself, I have nothing. That's an easy thing to do. And Jesus says that we need to count the cost before we follow him. It kind of sounds like a challenging statement until we go and do the math. And say, okay, but I don't have anything. I don't have anything. It's an easy course to count. But it's only when we are deceived and thinking of ourselves, we have something to bring to God. We have a righteousness of our own. That our good deeds mean something when that's a difficult goal. Same with earthly possessions. When Jesus challenges us in certain areas, it's because we are deceived in that aspect and think those things actually are worth something, and they are not. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy. The only one worthy. That takes us to point number one, works of faith and the heart. Point number one, the heart that follows Jesus knows that without Jesus, everything is worthless. The heart that follows Jesus knows that without Jesus, everything is worthless. That's the foundation of good deeds flowing from faith. Knowing that without Christ, without the gospel, without the cross, it means nothing. It adds no worth, it adds no value. Apart from Jesus, there's nothing that I can do to go to him and say, Look, is this good enough? Scripture says that our best works are filthy rags. Without Christ, without the gospel, without grace, There's nothing we can do. That's why Jesus came. Not because we were unwilling, which we were, but we were also unable. There is no way. It says, Paul actually writes in Romans and says, if we could receive our righteousness apart from Christ, if we could receive it in the law, then Jesus died for no reason. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot get it for free and try to pay for it. We need to understand this. It's the basis upon which it's built. And then also we need to ask ourselves, but why do we do that? What's the aim of our good deeds? What is it aimed towards? Why do we do what we do? What, what do we hope the end result is? Look at what Paul writes. Verse 10 and 11. He says, That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His suffering Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Three points. The first, that I may know him. That I may know him. And the question that we need to ask ourselves tonight is, why are we here? Why do we open our Bibles? Why do we worship? Why do we pray? Is this also the primary purpose? To know him. John 17 verse 3 says that this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God. It's the Greek word gnosis. It doesn't speak about information about. It speaks about relationship with. And like we've said many times, a lot of us has maybe heard stuff about God, but do we really know God? That's the question we should ask ourselves. You know, this morning in worship, Carl, just at a point as he was busy worshiping, told us, just there we are, just speak to God, start to pray. When those moments happen, how easily do you start to speak to God? Or do you pause for a moment, just, I don't know what to say. When it's quiet in worship, when there's no words being sung, what happens? Do we wait for someone to lead us in this thing that we're busy doing, or do we just start to speak with the one who we've been following our life. The one we know intimately, the one that's always there with us. You see, if you are alone in a room and someone comes walking into the room, how well you know that person would dictate how fast you are going to start speaking. If you don't know them at all, you tend to, want to just going to sit there and look at one another. But if you know them well, even as they walk, pass the door hey and you're going to just start to speak to them and you're going to catch up is that what our relationship with Jesus is like you know we tend to box everything into little boxes only in the morning you know when I do my quiet times when I pray also obviously before we eat that's a big no no but that's when we do that. Or is it just something that comes naturally? The moment you have experienced something bad or something goes on, you just, when you walk away from that moment, you just begin to say, yes, Lord, that wasn't pleasing at all. And you just start to speak to God about how you feel and what's going on. Because He's always there. Is it the relationship? Also, when you pray, is it many times the same repeated thing over and over again? Or is it dynamic? As you would speak to a friend, I mean if someone comes to you every single day and says to you the exact same thing, in day three you're gonna be like buddy, I know. You told me yesterday, you told me the day before, it's the same story. Many times we do that in our prayer life. Why? It's a rehearsed thing. The aim is not to know God. It's just to tick a box. Why? Because the aim is not to know him, the aim is to get to heaven. Which is the wrong aim, by the way. Many people have that. How do I get to heaven? It's not like, how do we get connected to the Father? That's what the gospel is. To reconcile us to the Father. That we might know Him. That's the purpose of the gospel. You know, someone said, I can't remember who it was. But he says, everybody wants to go to heaven. Some people just don't want God to be there. Everybody wants this place with the golden streets and no more sickness and no more death. But many of us just don't want someone to be there that still tells us how to live our life. That's God. And obviously, we're the easy one to say, no, but that's not us. But how would we know? How would we know that we are really aiming to be in heaven one day to be with God? Easy answer. By the effort we put in to be with Him now. Because we can know Him now. We can have relationship with Him now. And if we do not make an effort to know him now, we also don't want to know him then. It's a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. Because if we can know him now, and we want to know him now, we would put the effort in. Like we many times say, you know, we many times say that our relationship with God is not where we want it to be. That's a lie. It can only be where we want it to be. Because we are the limiting factor. God is not. He gave his son, the price is paid. The invitation stands, come and take of the water of life, drink freely. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The invitation stands. The question is just, are we willing to draw near? It's not as if we wake up in the morning and again they stole my Bible. Can you believe it? The moment I want to start to pray, man, they glued my lips shut again. It's the fourth day in a row now. No. It comes down to do we really want to? Do we really want to know Christ? And it says then, experience the power of his resurrection. Twofold, now and also then. The power of Christ will raise us from the dead one day so that we can be with him. But we can also experience that power now. Same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Empowers us. And Paul doesn't desire the power of God or to experience that resurrection power so that he can be comfortable and have everything he wants in life. No, but to be enabled to do what God has called him to do. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a wedding. And the pastor said something so beautiful. When the people were going to get married, he said to them, you know what should happen after this? You know what this means? What happens here today should make the world a better place. I thought, man, that's beautiful. Experiencing the power of God in their marriage, illustrating to the world the relationship between Christ and his church, should make the world a better place. Godly marriage, empowered by the spirit of God. Not to live happily ever after, isolated on our own, having everything that we want to have. No, but experiencing the power of God so that we can make the world a better place. And in this time that we are busy living in with all the negativity, many, we many times say, you know, South Africans are negative, just people in general are negative. They like to complain. Do we join in the complaining? Something as simple as that. We many times start the complaining. Or do we bring a different spirit? Do we bring hope? Do we bring light? we share the gospel? Do we point to Christ? Because so that's what we're supposed to do. Experiencing the resurrection power of Christ. And may share in his suffering. Lacquer. Like Why? Becoming like him in his death. It's like we saw with Sadrach, Massach and Abednego. It's only in light of the fire when we see who we really are. And it's only when we go through the fire when we become more like Christ. But to share in his suffering. Become like Him. That I might know Him and become like Him. That is the aim that Paul is speaking about. That's why I do what I do. And for some of us tonight, maybe we're just here out of rhythm. We just do this. This is what we do on a Sunday, five o'clock. That's why we're here. Some of us might have felt a little bit, no, okay, I need to do my part again, so I just wanna go and get that box checked. Some of us might be here and say, Lord, I really wanna know You, become like You. It's a desire, there's an expectation for me to be with you. But scripture says, may it be to know him, to become like him. And wherever we are tonight, by the grace of God, if we are honest with ourselves and God, we can move to where we need to be. Amen. Look at what the scripture says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3. So beautiful, when we have this desire to know him and to be with him. It says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence. It means that if we have the desire and the willingness to know Christ, he will enable us and give us what we need to live that life pleasing to him. Because many times we read a scripture like 1 John 2 verse 6 that's also here on the board. and It says whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And man, we read something like that and if we're honest with ourselves, we see okay, but whoa, now I'm wondering. If I'm truly abiding in Christ. Because there's so many areas that do not align. Like Anu said. To walk in the exact same way in which you will go. Look at the life of Christ and ask yourself. Which of those areas would you be unable to do? And if you're honest there's a lot of them. And again we want to jump and try to start with our own willpower. To be better. God says no. His divine power grants to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Turn near to the one that enables us to walk how he wants us to walk. Many times even when it comes to sin, we do that. We see this area in our life or this thing that we're constantly struggling with and we just jump off and we try to fix it. Instead of just going to sit down and say, Lord, here's this thing again. And I know it's been the 30th or the 40th time that I said I'm not going to do this and I want to remove this from my life but here we are again. And this time, Lord, I'm done trying to do it on my own. Won't you come and lead me and show me? Why am I doing this? What's the root? Where does this come from? How do I need to take it out? And God will lead you. You see, some of us struggle to go to God because we struggle to believe that He's really a good Father that really wants to give good things, that really loves us and really cares. And many times because we've had some experiences with authority figures in our lives and we just cannot seem to look past that lens that has been shaped by the experiences we had. And Scripture says He's really a good Father. He really wants to give life. And it's really unconditional. There's really nothing we can do to earn it. It's freely given freely given by God. There's a guy called William Temple and he said in light of this call to be like Jesus, you know, he, he said that if someone asked him to write a play like Hamlet from Shakespeare, he's unable to do that. If someone tells him, hey, you must live a life like Jesus, I'm unable to do that. He says, but if the spirit of Shakespeare were to live within me, I would be able. And if the spirit of God were to live within me, I would be able. And scripture says, we have the spirit of God. The one that enables us to walk according to the way that God has called us to walk. Amen. That takes us to point number two tonight. Works of faith in the heart. The heart that follows Jesus as a desire to know him and become like him. The heart that follows Jesus has a desire to know Him and become like Him. And that's the aim of it. That's the focus. That's why we do what we do. May that always be the answer. Why do you do what you do? That I might know Him and become like Him. That's why. And now for the motivation that sustains it, that keeps us from doing this the whole time. It says here in verse 13 to 15, And as I read, I want us to pay attention to who's busy writing. It's Paul writing. The guy that has the greatest influence on the early church. The guy that wrote most of the New Testament while he's busy writing the New Testament. And he writes the following. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And Paul is saying that there's, first of all, some place that I'm working towards. This understanding of grace doesn't make him passive. Because many times we read a passage like this and we think, okay, well then I can just continue living my life. No, then we misunderstand what's being said. The gospel never leads us to passivity. And we many times fall between those two things, dead works, trying hard in our own power, and passivity. We can't find that beautiful line that's called the gospel. We struggle, passive or dead works. And Paul says, it doesn't lead me to passivity. I'm constantly and continuously pressing on towards the goal. I'm constantly moving. But one thing I realize, that I have not made it my own. The Afrikaans say, I'm not confused about where I am. I am not perfect. I do not make it. I do not measure up. I'm pressing towards a certain goal, but I am definitely not there, and that is okay. I am not okay and that is okay. And he says, if those of you are mature, you need to think this way. How does a mature Christian think? He realizes that I'm not there yet. I do not measure up. And I still need to start every single quiet time with the words, Lord, I repent. So that I can receive grace to follow. But the mature Christian also still knows that we're still pressing on Towards the goal. And I like what Paul says. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. And you know how God many times reveals that to us. He allows us to fall flat on our face. We think we've made it and we think we're okay. And then that thing comes. And you're on your face and you're thinking, am I even saved? Have you ever experienced that? I've only had stories, not myself, you know thinking, man, am I even saved? Where did that come from? Flat on our face, God comes and he humbles us. And God reveals to us that we are not there yet. We also still need to press on to make it our own. And there's something here that we need to understand about not being perfect, because many times we try to be perfect so that we can be pleasing unto God. And there was a study done uh, a couple of years ago about missionaries but I think it can just relate to the average Christian as well and ask the question why does the average missionary burn out so quickly four or five years of training and then they send them and many of them come back in three months burnt out, done 90% of them doesn't last longer than nine months that's a short time and many times our Christian life looks a lot like that these short bursts and sprints of enthusiasm to do something and then we find ourselves burnt out again. Say, why? And they compared that to the life of Jesus, looking at about why he was so sustainable, why he was so fruitful in ministry. Well, he obviously was God, so that helps a little. But he was also fully man. And they looked at this thing called the cycle of grace and the life of Jesus and it looks like this, it's up on the board. It says that Jesus started his ministry at his baptism, and as he came up out of the water, he heard the words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus did anything, no ministry, no miracle. Before Jesus did anything, he hears the words, I love you, you accept it, I'm well pleased with you, my son, and because he knows that he's accepted, he constantly draws near to the Father and sustains that relationship. And he knows that his life has meaning and therefore he is fruitful. And what do we do? We try to be fruitful so that our life can have meaning. And we try to sustain that so that we can be accepted. The other way around. We try hard to do good things so that we can point to something and look, look, we made it. And we try to sustain that so that God and those around us can accept us. And God says, that's the wrong way around. You're trying to buy what I've given for free. It doesn't work that way. And that's why we again and again find ourselves burnt out and depleted, Die. Because it doesn't work that way. For us as Christians, God already says in the beginning, I love you, I'm pleased with you, before we have done anything. Scripture says in Romans 5 verse 8, Donnie prayed it at intercession while we were outside. That God showed his love for us, that what? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Christ died for us. In other words, Jesus didn't come and die for us when we showed him we don't need that. That doesn't make sense. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That takes us to the last point. The heart that follows Jesus does so out of a place of acceptance. The heart that follows Jesus does so out of a place of acceptance. And i finish for us with verse 12. Beautiful. It says the following. And this kind of sums up works in faith that flows from a pure heart. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. And many times we change the because with the so that. I press on, I try real hard, why? So that Christ can make me His own. Instead of because, He already has. It's the other way around. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for the beautiful message of the Gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. Thank you, Father, for your perfect will. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, Lord, working in hearts. And first, Lord, we wanna come and repent, Lord, of thinking that we actually can earn our salvation how often Lord not as blatantly but inevitably that's what we say and we look to the work of Christ on the cross and we see the work of grace Lord salvation offered up freely but we are too prideful Lord to acknowledge how much we need it and we say thanks for the sacrifice Lord but we will go and try and work at it on our own we will show you Lord that we have what it takes and many times not out of a desire to please you Lord but out of pride, Father, unable to acknowledge how much we need your grace. Like you say, Jesus, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Many times we have that boldness to come and pray, Lord, because we are like the tax collector coming in and saying, Lord, thanks that we are not like other men, adulterers, murderers, like those tax collectors. We fast twice a week, we give tithes of all we have. You say, you reject that, Lord, that's a prideful heart. But may we be like the tax collector, Lord, that's unable to even lift his eyes to heaven, beating on his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Acknowledging, Lord, how much we need grace. for your goodness wherever you are at tonight whether you are tired burned out on the edge busy with dead works trying to show God that you have what it takes whether you're in a place of passivity you've given up or whether you're still running the race eyes fixed on Christ knowing that he enables wherever you are tonight let's lift up our voice to God even if you don't know what to say, you just start by saying, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. But Lord, come and lead. And if it's passivity, repent of that. If it's dead works, repent of that. And for every good thing, glory unto God, because He's the one that enables. But let's pray there where we stand.